This is The Weekender on Y95. Good morning and welcome to The Weekender on Y95. Brought to you by Aris Yarmouth, your one-stop healthy home center. I'm Kevin Northup. The Weekender for Saturday, July 23rd, 2022. Coming up this hour, the fishery, inflation, housing, and more. We discuss big issues in our region in a two-part interview with West Nova MP and Deputy Speaker of the House of Commons, Chris Dontremont. And the J Strong Softball Tournament is back next weekend to help raise funds for youth accessing sports in Yarmouth County. We speak with Deputy Mayor and Organizer Steve Barry. The Weekender returns in a moment on Y95. Welcome back to The Weekender on Y95. I'm Kevin Northup. Joined in studio this morning by the MP for West Nova, also the Deputy Speaker of the House of Commons, the first Acadian to hold that title, Chris Dontremont with us in studio this morning. Good morning, Chris. Thanks for being here. Good morning. Thanks for having me in. Well, it's uh, been a while since we've chatted with you on the weekender. Um, uh, we've had a, uh, a federal election uh, last September, almost a year ago. It's hard to believe uh, it's been that long. How have things you know, been for you uh, and for the party since that uh, election defeat to the Liberals? I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I'm not the one that's going to go out and write a book, but I should write a book about what has happened in the last couple of years as, as an MP, as a member of the Conservative Party, as a, as a member of Parliament. It's just been uh, a, a bit of a whirlwind where, you know, we had, a, we had an election 18 months after the last one. So, you know, already under my belt, I have two elections. I have two different leaders. Uh, we're in the middle of, a, of another, of course, uh, leadership race. Uh, you know, I, I've been uh, taking on the new role of, of deputy speaker. Now, the speaker went off on, 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 on some medical issues. I got to be the sort of the main speaker in the House of Commons during uh, the, uh, the, the Freedom Convoy and the occupation of Ottawa, uh, the, the usage of the Emergency Act. Um, got to do votes on that. It, 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 it's, it kind of amazes me a lot of what has transpired in such a short, short period. Oh, yeah, right, there was COVID. <laughs> so, you know, add up a lot of different issues that I've been able to live through. And it's really been a year like no other in, in federal politics, hasn't it? Well, it, it certainly has. I mean, not, not you know, when when Andrew Scheer decided he was not running, um, he was going to be, uh, be be retiring or, or leaving the post, and, and, and then that started a, uh, a very lengthy... Uh, leadership campaign where Aaron O'Toole picked that one up, and then to to have caucus dump Aaron uh, not so long long after, um, after a sort of uh, we we should have won that last election and we didn't win the last election and you know there was always uh, someone to blame and, and unfortunately Aaron uh, was the one in in the crosshairs on that I thought Aaron was a, a a very good leader and you know would grow with Canadians as we went along but you know here we are in, in a in a nomination period again and, uh, you know, waiting till September 10th. So we find out who our new leader is. So it's been, it's been a lot. It's been a lot all of a sudden. Right. And that's kind of been, you know, the conservative party kind of rebuilding a little bit, uh, a lot of different uh, leadership candidates. We did have Pierre Polyev come down uh, to Barrington uh, a few months ago. So he's been in this local area. Uh, talk a bit, I guess, from your standpoint about this leadership candidate, uh, you know, race, mm. do you have a candidate that you prefer to see 
lead or are you allowed to share that? The, the great part about being a deputy speaker of the House of Commons is that I, I don't take a side. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm technically what we would qualify as nonpartisan at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, I think anyone that was in a leadership role within the Conservative Party, um, anybody that was sort of in a, in a leadership role in the caucus um, and then deputy speakers of such w- didn't take any position on it. So we're sort of resources for the party itself as it tries to navigate this without taking taking a side. Uh, you know, it, it's been a challenging race as you, as you sit back and, and watch it. Um, I always find that, you know, Canadian politics as a rule has been, been, been becoming a lot more attacky, uh, a lot more that, that Nova Scotians don't necessarily appreciate. So, you know, uh, that's been a challenge for me. I, I don't, I don't like it when one, one member is taking, taking a shot at another member. Cause at the end of the day, we all need to work together. We're all part of the same, you know, big tent party. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't want to be seeing any real fractures from one side to the other yet. I still need to see at this point of how we're trying to pull this all back. So I, I want to see from Pierre, how do we do we take moderates and, and make sure that they're a part of our party? Um, how do, from Charest, you know, how do we take those reformists, those, those, those conservatives from, from the West, how do we incorporate them into the conservative party? Uh, a lot like the way that, uh, that our previous prime minister did. You know, it's, it's, it, it, we have deferring uh, ideas sometimes, and it takes a good, strong leader to be able to, to manage that group. And you had talked about, um, you know, this past year and and the Freedom Convoy that arrived in Ottawa. And I spoke with you a little bit during that time, and and you had said it was just uh, the truck horns were everywhere. Um, The Capitol was kind of uh, locked down uh, downtown. Just a different time. So from your experience in being there, what was that like for you? Well, I mean, ultimately, I I don't know how a group of people could actually pick such a cold part of the year. I mean, (laughs) Ottawa, I mean, I'm used to Yarmouth County weather. So when we travel to Ottawa and it's minus 27, um, that takes your breath away on on most occasions. But the convoy was there during the the coldest time of year. Um, You know, for three weeks, they sat out there. Uh, and, 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 and protested and every day you would see this group of people, you know, roll into the city and then by whatever time they would roll out. So it wasn't just the trucks that were downtown and and the people that were on board of those trucks, but there was a lot of, I would call them supporters, uh, from different parts of the country that were going in and out of the city during that time. Um, you know, there were days where I would say it felt a lot hotter, um, that there was a lot more, uh, you know, possibility of, of, of problems that would have happened in the city. But for the most part, anytime you were walking up and down the streets, uh, you know, I would take the opportunity to say good morning and, and hello. I mean, that my, my apartment from, from, from West Block is about eight blocks. Um, so I would, you know, would walk up it by myself uh, and say good morning, you know, where are you from, and from Saskatchewan and, or from Nova Scotia or from wherever. So, you know, you know, when you're going home would sort of be my next question. And a lot of them would say, well, as long as it takes. And other ones would say, well, I wish I was gone, gone already mm-hmm. because I've got work to do, mm-hmm. but I'm blocked in by someone else. So, you know, there's differing, uh, d- differing opinions of what actually the the convoy was some of them were stuck there other ones wanted to um you know to be there a lot longer um but i think you know i think the the police um the police partners um, could have done things earlier on in the process that would have broken that up in no time without having the without having that 
big finale that they had uh, on that Wednesday and Thursday. Mm-hmm. So, or that Thursday and Friday. So it wasn't, I want to say it wasn't, it, I didn't feel, it didn't feel at danger. Uh, the people that were there were very, very open to, to chat. Um, I didn't spend a lot of time uh, with it because I had to get to work, uh, being being the speaker at the time. So you know, it, I don't think it was it wasn't horrible, but I felt bad for the people that actually lived in that. I mean, there was a couple of weekends where I had the opportunity to come home. Uh, there was an opportunity to go visit some friends or some cousins that live outside of Ottawa. So you sort of could take yourself out of it for a little bit. Mm-hmm. But in the House of Commons, here's the fun part. Um, West Block was renovated uh, a couple of years ago. So so the House of Commons moved from Center Block to West Block. That building ha- lets no sound in. Mm-hmm. So you could be making lots of noise on, on, on the lawn and you, not one MP could hear it. I mean, they would hear it as they enter and, and exit the building. But as you're sitting in your chair in the House of Commons, couldn't hear a damn thing. Wow. Interesting. So very, very no interruption to no interruption no interruption to government no interruption yeah. to to Proceed. to House of Commons yeah mm-hmm. there you go and that's something we've talked about with the Freedom Convoy disruptions was the main yeah. you know theme of it of course and um, do you think that it's changed it changed the way Canadians view COVID and the response by the Liberals and and the, and the mandates do you think it really put a stamp on that and a kind of a change of attitude towards it I think it brought attention to it um, but I. Th- Quite, quite honestly, feel Ottawa was the wrong place. I mean, most of the mandates that people were experiencing were from the provinces. Uh, we were already seeing a diminishment of COVID uh, cases across the country. We already had provinces that were talking about uh, starting to shut down some of those some of those mandates, and of course, opening themselves up. Um, so I think a lot of lot of stuff happened by chance. Maybe some of it was like, okay, well, we need to. We need to, to, to back off a little bit here because of what's going on. But I think for the most part, the science of it all was that, uh, you know, we weren't in such a, a dangerous place. We had vaccines. We've had, uh, we've had uh, treatments, vi- viral treatments. We've, we all know what to do. So, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, did it accomplish what it was supposed to accomplish or did it just sort of, was it just the timing of it all? I'm not, I'm not quite sure. Mm-hmm. It, it was kind of... Uh right in there when the vaccines were really getting rolled out, of course, and and many of the Freedom Convoy didn't believe in vaccines, of course. That was another thing that they brought attention to. Well, it was a mix of people, was was the funny part. You had sort of anti-vaccine people, and you had people that that believed in the vaccine. You had people that just, it was just the mandate side Mm -hmm. of things that were really trying, that's what hauled them all together. Yep, Yep, exactly. It was certainly an interesting time, and of course, the pandemic response has continued. Um, now most restrictions in Nova Scotia, at least, are uh, have been dropped, and uh, uh, there's you know still some restrictions to airports. Uh, you know, Pearson Airport, we've heard, is a mess right now. Um, you've traveled a lot, I'm sure you, you you've you've seen it firsthand. Um, tell me a bit about that from your side of it, and how do you think the government could do better in in managing that? Yeah, well, I mean, num- number one, I I fly a lot, um, I back and forth to Ottawa. I mean, of course, right now it's summertime, so we don't have to go back to Ottawa uh, for a little bit. So a lot of traveling within the community right now. But you know, I would fly almost every week. Uh, you know, get home for a little bit, uh, try to try to meet up some constituents, do a little bit of work around the house, and head head right back. Um, I've become the I would say a, a carry-on king, where I carry everything on. I, I can do almost two weeks from a carry-on, so I, I I've been able to figure that part out. Uh, but yeah, no, it, two things. I think two things happened uh, in that. Maybe three things. But what one, 
you know, a lot of people were let go during, during COVID. I mean, no industry was hit harder than tourism and out of the tourism group, that, those kind of travel organizations like airlines were hit very hard. So a lot of people went home. Um, many of those people that went home probably went off and found new jobs. So they weren't going back to work at the airport or work for an airline or anything like that. So all of a sudden when things start to go back to normal or people start to travel again, those people weren't available. You have to go and train them. You have to find them. You have to get them ready. And then I think, you know, so that, so, so there, there was a manpower problem, you know, an actual mad and then you have the issue of, of airlines trying to go back to normal quicker than they really should. Mm. You know, should you go back to full service or should you say, okay, well, listen, instead of four flights out of Halifax to, to Ottawa, maybe two is okay. Maybe, you know, I, I don't know how many flights are coming out of Halifax there right now. But Halifax is doing fine, but baggage handling and, and, and screening and those kinds of things out of the bigger airports like Montreal and, and Toronto Pearson are just out of control. But we're not the only country that that's, that's happening as well. Um, so maybe the government had to have a, a, a good uh, tete-a-tete or a good conversation with those airlines and say, okay, listen, maybe you guys need to back off just a little bit. Uh, you might have all the pilots you need, but you don't have all of the, the safety, safety folks around it either. So there's a couple of things. Was it mismanaged? Yeah, there's probably some things that government could have done better when they furloughed those, those people, uh, you know, try to hold on to them so that you can turn them back on. You can get them back to work as soon as, as soon as possible. Right. And, uh, as far as that goes, you know, there's still some restrictions in airports too. Uh, how do you feel about the, you know, the restrictions kind of easing off federally? Yeah. I mean, you know, so far allowing people back to work has been a big, a big issue. Uh, you know, as, as that mandate thing we talked about, you know, people that don't have a vaccine can, can go back to work, um, except in healthcare, of course. Uh, so you, you're seeing a lot of people maybe show back up to, to baggage handling and, and security screening and, and, and those kinds of things. I still don't mind wearing wearing my mask on board of the airplane. I mean, for the for the sake of, you know, the hour and a half that I'm in the airport and the hour and 20 minutes of flight time, I don't mind putting on the mask. Um, I don't know where everybody around me has been and mm-hmm. what they've run into. And, and most of the folks that I've talked to that have had COVID lately are folks that, that have traveled and, uh, and, and have come back and had to suffer out a, a week or so of, of, of COVID uh, symptoms. So... You know, it's still around us. We still have to be very vigilant about it. And, you know, wearing a mask for a couple hours in an airplane just, you know, doesn't bother me much at all. Part two of our conversation with West Nova MP Chris Dontremont continues next. The Weekender will return in a moment. Welcome back to The Weekender on Y95. And now part two of our conversation with West Nova MP and Deputy Speaker of the House of Commons, Chris Dontremont. It's not just the pandemic, you know, that Canadians are, are facing right now. Well, it's, a, I guess, a result of the pandemic, you know, inflation, uh, housing, uh, you know. What are some of the biggest things you're hearing on the from your constituents right now in Wait, West Nova? It, yeah, in West Nova lately, I mean, housing is definitely a big, a big part of it. Uh, especially in the in the in the lower means kind of communities and and you know we don't have rich communities in in West Nova we're very rural uh, we're very dependent on certain resources so you know we don't have a a ton of rich communities here we have a lot of comfortable things but you know we we still have challenges with with poverty and and homelessness and those kinds of things and i just find that there's no there's no coordination of this stuff like when you ask someone well i you know 
I need some housing. I, I'm, I'm underhoused. I mean, we have a lot of that in the area where people are, you know, they need a two bedroom and they're stuck in a one bedroom or, or, you know, the roof is leaking or whatever you have. Who's the, who do you send them to? Do you send them to the province? Well, the wait list over at housing is longer than it needs to be. It's almost a two-year wait list right now, I think, to get into one of our, one of our housing units. Um, outside of that, where do you go? You know, do you talk to Split Rock? Do you talk to the women, the women's center? Do you talk like wh- where do all these folks uh, try to coordinate? So what I'm trying to do is try to try to try to help coordinate through the, the department. You know, can they fund some kind of navigator? Uh, it's a bit it's a it's a bit of a mess. And then that's just trying to help the people that are looking for housing. But for those those groups that want to build housing, like we need more units. Uh, in West Nova and right across Canada, you know, how do we entice investors uh, to build these buildings? You know, the, these things are not cheap right now. Inflation has caused uh, building supplies to go up. We've seen some adjustments to that, but not a whole lot. Borrowing costs are going to be very difficult over the, over the next bit. You know, what kind of role does uh, CDC, uh, CMHC play in, in that discussion? Um, so... I see a lot of talk coming from government and, and, and from Minister Hussein, but I haven't seen any action when it comes to trying to solve the problem right here. So we need that coordination. I, I think that's where we really need to be. And then they need to come up with a real plan to get entice new construction, you know, some real construction for some, some you know, a whole, a whole array of housing, you know, low income, medium income, seniors, we just don't have enough here in Yarmouth anymore. And so many people are moving to Nova Scotia. It's not, and Yarmouth especially. I mean, the amount of people from Ontario, Alberta, and we certainly do welcome them here, of course, but uh, not a lot of room uh, here right now. Kevin, we, we had houses that were abandoned. You know, we, we, you, you, we could run through our communities and say that house is abandoned, that person passed away, and there's no family to, to, to that, that family anymore, they're, they're, they're all gone, nobody's taking care of that house. All of those houses have been taken up. You know, there's not, a, there's, not a, there's not an empty house anywhere in southwest Nova Scotia that we're aware of at this point, which is, which is great in a way for the, for the community, for the economy of the, of the you know, it keeps, keeps the grocery stores open, it keeps the gas stations open, it keeps all of those things, all those services that people need. But cheap housing is gone, right? That, that opportunity to maybe p- purchase a cheap house as a fixer-upper and, and be able to get into your first house is no longer there for p- folks. So, yeah, we need, we need to do a lot more work on that. Even my first house a few years ago, you know, I paid under 100 grand for it, and now it would be triple that. Yeah, no, I mean, hey, I'll, I'll admit right now, I mean, when, I, when, when Ann and I got married, we lived up on Alma Street in, in an apartment. Uh, luckily, it was a decent, decent apartment. We moved into a house. We, we paid $70,000 for that house in 27 years ago. I mean, the house across the street just sold for, you know, 279000 <laughs> right? So, you know, housing has definitely changed uh, in this area dramatically. But I mean, that's one issue. I mean, that's one issue that we talk about. I mean, gas prices, affordability, um, you know, just trying to make ends meet. Uh, seniors on fixed income, uh, you know, they need they need a raise. They've needed a raise for, for, for a very long time to try to adapt to some of these costs. Uh, inflation will bring not only the gas prices that we see right now, well, luckily there's been a little bit of a reprieve, but who would have thought we'd say, okay, 
a dollar eighty nine is a better price for 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 regular fuel. I mean, come on. So, but that that trans that that transfers into other costs as we go along. The shipping to Sobeys, the shipping to Superstore, uh, the shipping of of other goods and goods and services that we have from this area. You know, trucking companies are talking about sixty percent or eighty percent surcharges that they they have to put to their customers. Well, who eats that in the end, or who who ends up paying this? Well, the consumer ends up paying for that in the end. So it's going to be a little rough there for the next next little bit and we don't feel the government's actually responded to it correctly yet mm. chris donchman the mp for west nova in studio with us this morning on the weekender and uh uh chris you, you mentioned you know about inflation and and the, the housing costs and it just costs so much for everything right now for for your party the conservative party of canada uh, are you working on a plan, uh, you know, for eventually, you know, when and if you guys do get back in power um, for the next election, whenever that may be? Um, is there a plan in place that you're you're working towards? Well, ultimately, it's going to be up to the new leader and his new team or her new team. Um, you know, we'll we'll see how that goes. We we do, we are the Conservative Party. I mean, I, again, I sit in the middle chair, so uh, it's not it's a little less me and a little bit them. Mm-hmm. But they they. They propose a number of things just on on the cost of living. You know, okay, well, let's let's look at fuel for for example. There's excise tax on that. There's GST on that. Uh, all of them can be managed by by governments. They're, all of them are managed by governments. So, is there an opportunity in those taxes to actually, uh, you know, cut some of the costs? They did it in Ontario. They did it in Alberta. They did it in. I think there's another province, I can't remember which one it is, that did the same thing where they took at least the provincial portion of the GST off. Well, why couldn't we take some of the federal federal GST? Because that's a tax on a tax, don't forget. There's got to be a windfall in that right now of, of as, as the, the cost of fuel goes up, of course, the windfall on GST goes up. So can't we give that back uh, to, to Canadians? So there's a couple of things that we can do almost immediately to be able be, to be able to help. Um, we we also talked about the uh, the uh, the carbon tax uh, for those provinces that that pay a carbon tax uh, to be able to maybe suspend it for the for the time for the time being. Uh, of course, some of those payments are going back to people like Ontario and and those the, I think uh, uh, New Brunswick. They're all getting their payments back for a carbon tax. Uh, but here in Nova Scotia, since we are on cap and trade, we won't see that just yet. So, is there other opportunities for for provinces and the federal government to you know put a little more cash in in people's hands so that they can make those 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 ends meet? So that's you know certainly the biggest thing you're hearing, and I know. Being the MP of West Nova, you're hearing a lot about the fishery, and we've talked about that. And, of course, the new uh, Senate uh, committee report about uh, peace on the water um, has been met with a lot of criticism in this area, especially from the Unified Fisheries Conservation Alliance. They've condemned the report. Um, just, I guess, your, th- your, your colleague Rick Perkins has uh, been very vocal about it as very fisheries much. critic of, uh, of Joyce Murray, the fisheries minister. So uh, from your standpoint, I guess being the MP of West Nova and, and seeing this report come out, uh, what are your thoughts immediately on that? Well, number one, um, the Senate um, has no real uh, response to a community of interest. Uh, They're they uh, supposedly a, a group of sober second thought. Um, so why they were doing this report kind of, I question uh, how did they get into this this report or doing this study? Uh, I, again, I, I, I question. Um, 
of course, we have to look at there. There's one recommendation in there, and I forget the exact numbers, that everyone needs to be at the table. Everybody should be at the table mm -hmm. in any fisheries discussion. It means so much to our community. You know, everyone somehow is connected to the fisheries, whether you are Indigenous or non-Indigenous. I'll stop. How a committee of, uh, of, of learned people can sit and, 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 and do this study and not include the community that would be affected as well. So Unified Fishermen, the, 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 the Brazil Rock, and uh, uh, you know, all of those groups had, had tried to present to that or associate to, to that standing committee. Mm -hmm. Did not, they were not accepted. There were a number of, of constitutional groups that wanted to, to present to it, to understand the constitutionality of, of it weren't able to, 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 to do there. So I question if the outcome was already predetermined by a number of members of that committee. So, I mean, I'm not going to, to, to say, you know, it was, it was cooked in the beginning, but I don't accept the results uh, because they are not representative of all Canadians uh, on that report. It just, it's just one more thing to, that, that shows me that Ottawa doesn't care about the fishery whatsoever. They, they don't understand it. They don't care about it. They wish it would just go away. And, and mostly that bunch of liberal appointed senators uh, were just doing the bidding um, of, of government somehow. And it, 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 it kind of sickens me a little bit that they would do that. Very interesting that, you, you know, the report recommended the DFO kind of take an advisory role and the Department yeah. of Fisheries and Oceans are the overseer of, of you know, all the fisheries uh, here in Canada and some quota reallocation, the buyback approach being eliminated. Those are uh, issues that, you know, certainly in our newsroom here, we've heard from from fishermen saying this is unbelievable. We can't believe they would they would do this. So. Um, I'm sure you're hearing that uh, from your constituents as well. Yeah, I mean, one in, one out. Uh, you know, w w we have to, you know, uh, Robert Thibault always used a good line. He's, when people asked him, are you for this group or that group, he would say, well, I, I'm here for the fish. Mm. You know, DFO should be there for to make sure the conservation of a very important stock, the lobster stock in southwest Nova Scotia, is protected. And that means we can't grow the industry bigger than it already is. So in order to add people to the system, we've got to take people out. Um, so you need to have that willing buyer, willing seller to be able to, or willing seller, willing buyer to be able to, to pull it off. Now, the second point uh, on, on this one that is in the report, it talks about there was no martial response. Well, the government, uh, two sets of governments, the Chrétien government uh, paid over $600 million to Indigenous groups uh, to get them into the fishery. And I think it goes even further than that. So it doesn't, the report doesn't even recognize something that was called Marshall Initiative Response 1 and 2. You know, they didn't do enough. Oh, my goodness. My goodness, uh, there's been a lot done. Uh, there's a lot that can be done, but we can only do it when we're sitting at the table together. And I think the biggest thing for the report, uh, peace on the water, that's what they want to accomplish, right. obviously. Um, they don't want any any hostility, um, yeah. and, and Indigenous fishers have the right to, to fish for a moderate livelihood. And that's it's a way of, of making sure that happens uh, so it benefits everybody. That's 
maybe the goal of the report. I don't know, but uh, it seems that they've gone and kind of in a in one direction there. Well, we continue to look at it from one lens or another lens. We we can never seem to to to, to find a, a good middle. So I, I think the Senate report took a far more indigenous approach to to the way they see things. Uh, maybe the the fishery report and the dissenting opinion that conservatives put in was a little more of a, a fishery based report or commercial fishery. And like I said, you got to put you got to put those both both things aside. We all recognize the right of Indigenous people uh, for that moderate livelihood fishery. We, we understand. We understand the FSE fishery. I think everybody has has come to the, come to that. What we can't seem to seem to come to 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 into an agreement on is timing. It's about timing and when the fishery actually is supposed to happen. When do we have that best product? Uh, when is it safe to be able to take that product out uh, as, they're, as they're soft and seeding and all those things? You know, conservation is, is a big layer in this discussion. And I think the Senate report just didn't even, didn't even look at that at this point. They looked at it simply as a negotiating process between the government and Indigenous groups. Um, there's a whole community that they, they don't recognize. I, I don't think Ottawa recognizes the size of the fishery in Southwest Nova Scotia. They don't recognize how it actually impacts the lives of so many people. I think if they did, maybe they'd be, they'd have some, uh, at least a different response. I don't know if they come up with a different, different ending, but at least how they respond to this and how they look at it and how they study it would would be different. You know, uh, as far as, as far as Ottawa is concerned, in a lot of cases, I feel, you know, the fishery ended in 1992 with the closure of the, of the, of the, of the, of the cod fishery. There's a fisherman. What are you talking about? There's fishing going on. And that, that shows in the DFO, the, the way it, 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 it responds, uh, the way wharves are taking care of the infrastructure. I mean, we're finally just starting to get Coast Guard boats back now. Like uh, the, the fishery almost doesn't exist to people in Ottawa, and that's something that you're you're fighting for. We we, con- we continue to 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 push. I, I have regular meetings with the minister now. This is the opportunity that being a deputy speaker has given me, mm-hmm. is that uh, I know all the ministers now. They all know who I am, and you know, having that deputy the deputy speaker would like to speak to you, actually gets resp- gets response. They actually they actually respond and and talk and 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 I hope at the end of the day they understand. Right. And Minister Murray is, uh, I heard she was on vacation right now. So you're hoping to see a, a swift response to this when she comes back? Well, we're hoping to see. I mean, it took a long time even just to respond to the uh, to the House of Commons report on fishery. I mean, it took over six months or more to be able to respond to that one. Mm-hmm. So I don't expect a quick one. But at the same time, there should be some kind of response or acknowledgement that, you know, the fish the, the fishery responsibilities should remain with DFO. I, I, I hope that continues to show. So we've talked about a lot of the main issues here for, yep. for West Nova for sure, and uh, we'll, we'll we'll wrap up here, uh, Chris, by asking you, uh, you know, what what does the future look like for you? I know, uh, you know, the rest of the summer you'll be uh, here mostly, and then uh, the House will resume sitting in the fall. So uh, a new leader will be chosen for the Conservative Party of Canada. So that's kind of the focus right now for the party. But what's the focus for you right now? Well, well, ultimately is to continue to bring these issues forward. Um, you know, working the network that I have now. Uh, you know, we we've been relatively successful on a number of of files, uh, some that haven't been announced yet. So I'm I'm hoping to see a couple of announcements in the next uh, few weeks to a couple of months uh, on some some big projects for Southwest Nova Scotia. Um, you know, I'm hopeful to 
to see some kind of, of, of response on the fishery as, as the fall rolls up. Uh, you know, very hopeful there. Uh, and, and ultimately, I, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to see, you know, government being able to respond to, to the, the, the cost of living crisis that we, 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 we have ourselves in. I mean, it's hard to do when we're not in session. And, you know, it's hard to tell. You can't, you can't hold them to account on some of these things uh, when we're in our ridings. But what we're seeing in our ridings, we're having the opportunity to travel, uh, talk to lots of, uh, of individuals and businesses, and, and, and basically being able to see them in, 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 in parades and, and festivals and People just want to get out and, and, and see you. So it's been it's been a really good summer so far. Um, of course, there's caucus meetings coming up and the Commonwealth Parliamentary Association coming up and some training things we need to do. And then we have the 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 leadership on the ninth. So, you know, once August rolls around, about mid-August, uh, you know, we're all really just back to work. So mm-hmm. get back to work and the offices are always open and, and working hard on immigration files and CRA files and all the other things that could be coming to us as well. So relatively successful on that. Well, thank you so much for your time. I know uh, I know you're very busy, so we always appreciate it when you can uh, pop by the studio and have a chat. We know your office is just up the road, so it's uh, a short journey for you. So thanks so much. And, uh, and yeah, we'll uh, t- chat again, certainly as we get closer to that uh, conservative leadership race and the result of a new leader for the Conservative Party of Canada. Have a great summer. We'll talk to you in September. All right. Chris Dontremont, the MP for West Nova and the Deputy Speaker for the House of Commons. The Weekender returns in a moment on Y95. Welcome back to The Weekender on Y95. I'm Kevin Northup. Big softball tournament coming up here in Yarmouth at the, the Hebron Recreation Complex. Every year it's been held, uh, the J-Strong Tournament, uh, such an important fundraiser for youth in our area, and of course honoring uh, Jaden Robinson, who was uh, a very big part of uh, our community uh, who passed away back in uh, 2015. We are talking about this big tournament with one of the organizers, Steve Barry, uh, of course the deputy mayor of the town of Yarmouth. Steve, thank you very much for being here, and uh Talking about Jay Strong, which is something I know that you are very, very passionate about. Yes, uh, very near and dear to my heart, and uh, we're very, very glad to be back, the, to have COVID behind us, and to be back to being able to do some fundraising and get our big events out and get the community involved. July 29th, 30th, and 31st, so that's uh, not the weekend we're in now, but next uh, this is going to be happening. Uh, how many teams have registered for this so far? So we have 20 registered so far, um, a lot from our local co-ed league, and I'm happy to say we do have some from Weymouth, from Digby, from Shelburne and Barrington as well. So just over the years, I think we've uh, got a name for ourselves for putting on a good tournament and uh, the word's out there. And we've got people got till uh, fr- this Friday, the uh, 23rd, to uh, sign up and uh we're looking forward to a, a good weekend of ball. Now, I know you've got the jersey on right now, Big Ruckus and number 65. That jersey was from one of the first Jay Strong softball tournaments, correct? Yes, uh, this is a team, a friend of mine, James Jackard, brother Luke Rufin, um, uh, gladly one of our big sponsors had come in and the sponsors are jerseys and uh, of course had to take on the number 65 to show some respect to my boy so uh, always happy to uh, wear this jersey and uh, kind of reminds me of our humble beginning so it's always a nice kind of retro throwback kind of nice to wear around and and represent that's for sure and for those who don't know about Jay Strong and you talked about the number 65 and how significant uh, that is uh, Jaden Robinson, who was an athlete in our community, wore number 65, and he, he played football up at uh, Sir John A. in the city. Um, 
talk about you know what he meant to you. I know a very untimely passing, of course, and uh, I know you you were you know a good friend of his, and uh, you know he was a student of yours at, at high school, correct? Yep. Uh, I think anyone who's ever come in contact with Jaden probably has a story about either a smile or a laugh that that he's probably uh, made you had. Um, I was lucky enough to work with Jaden throughout school. Um, around his grade 10 year, um, someone had mentioned to him, hey, you know, size-wise, you look like you could be a football player, you're into sports, and he went up to the city, tried out for the provincial team, of course, being the size that he was, was an, an instant phenom, um, went uh, the following year and attended Sir John A., and unfortunately came home and uh, had the uh, tragic car accident, but uh, from those dark times and that unfortunate situation, we decided to uh, flip things over and start a fund in his name and here we are well almost seven years later we're over two hundred thousand dollars raised and 100 percent of that money goes back to um, supporting youth in our area uh, there's no overhead cost for us we're just a bunch of volunteers um, his his family myself and a few others sit on a board um, if people want to apply it's up to three hundred dollars per year per child to uh, help cover cost of registration in sports We've helped out when teams have won uh, special things, have went on to provincials, nationals, different things like that. But we're known in the community to kind of be there when uh, the kids need it. And uh, from quite a dark, unfortunate, negative experience, we've really flipped this around. And I have to say, without the community and the volunteers, this would never happen. But um, yeah, here we are seven years later, $200,000. And uh, we plan on keeping on, keeping on. And of course, with the cost of everything nowadays, uh, the, the ability to uh, to be a parent and not have to pick what kid would play sports and and just know that this is there to be able to you know to help out where it can and uh, it, it's it's been a real labor of love and uh, anyone who's been involved usually you get that good karma and that good smile on your face from it so really happy to be here and for what we accomplished so far and even back then you know I don't know if you ever thought it would get to this point. Uh, but you, you talked about those dark times, and for Jaden Robinson, we're still saying his name seven years later. And I think that's a big important thing that, that the family and yourself uh, want to keep going. Big time. And uh, you made reference to the 65 there earlier. Obviously, that was his number when he played. So a lot of our things have the 65 on it. Uh, we have a, a ball shirt uh, crest that we use. Uh, we have some T-shirts that we sell there. Uh, most of our merch has it on there. Basically, we don't try to make money off our merch too much. It's more about getting the word out and kind of showing the advertisement and what we are and just pushing it out there. So every kid who wants to uh, access sports, is uh, we're here to help. So very happy to be here and continue to push his name out and let his legacy of uh, happiness and smiles live on for sure for a long time to come, hopefully. And it's a celebration, really, the Jay Strong softball tournament. It was that first real signature event for Jay Strong to kind of get things going. Uh, and now you mentioned seven years later, here we are, over $200,000 raised. Uh, you mentioned about 20 teams have registered uh, for uh, next weekend. Um, and I know it's going to be a good celebration. So what can teams expect, I guess, when they when they get uh, to the Hebron Rec Complex for this three-day event? So outside of some good ball alone, um, and uh, I also like to give a shout-out to the Minor Ball League. Um, they shut down their games here um, during that weekend, and they give us access to all the fields. So if we have fo a four street and if that's needed, that's there as well. But, um, yeah, we have a Chinese auction. Uh, we have barbecue. 
um, all kinds of fun stuff going on um, in our Chinese auction alone. My uncle lives up in Toronto, and he goes to all the Blue Jays games. So we have all the giveaways, the bobbleheads, the uh, jerseys, <laughs> and all the uh, – for all you Jays fans out there, uh, we have a scratch uh, board usually about 150 to 200 dollars worth of scratch tickets uh, local restaurants board um, in the process now just getting donations we got a 50 dollar donation from johnny patch pub the other day and uh, uh, rito's 30 dollar gift certificate so what we do is you come to the hebron rec center we have a wonderful canteen um, anything that you'd like there um, you buy an envelope for ten dollars there's 20 numbers in there and you walk around and you put your numbers in front of whatever prize it is you like to win and uh, we do the draws at the end of the day and uh, it's always a good time that's kind of our draw for like the non-ball people so like my grandmother my family always comes up and it's a, it's not just about ball come on up have a hot dog get a drink enjoy talk you know just it's about getting back to some sense of community and some some normalcy again and uh, we're really glad after two years off to be back here so uh, over the years we've improved pretty much every year our first year we raised 6500 uh, our second we did around 10,000 then we did uh, 13,000 ish and our last two years we did around 17,000 um, just to sit here and, and say that in a two three day tournament just speaks to how great of a community we have you don't raise that kind of money unless you're from a community of giving people and uh, regardless of uh, what the total is it, it's always uh, money that 100 percent goes into that fund so we're thankful regardless of of what we raise but if you're around next weekend and looking for something fun to do if you're in town hit up to forest street yarmouth minor ball will have a barbecue there there'll be some great ball and if not come on up to hebron and uh, yeah enjoy the barbecue the chinese auction and 50 50 we usually donate to to a charity we're still in the works with that there's some gear to buy but Come on up, have a good time, and uh, support Jay Strong uh, next weekend if you can, please. Yeah, this is going to be uh, a lot of fun. and uh, I can remember going to the Jay Strong tournaments, and I know it's been tough, too, with the pandemic. Um, ha has it gone on in the pandemic? Was there any sort of modified Jay Strong tournament, or is this the first time since 2019? So we've been pretty much no money coming in since COVID. Um, luckily, the money that we've raised in the past, kind of rainy, rainy day funds, but, you know, over the years, nothing coming in, a lot going out. Um we just need to replenish our funds. So outside of this, our, we call it the big three. We have the softball tournament. Uh, we do the golf tournament, which is uh, August uh, 11th or 12th, I believe. And um, we do the uh, big J Strong Cup at the end of uh, September where we shut down Main Street and kind of do a version of uh, the uh, Redwood Cup. And mm. uh, we uh, do the championships on the uh, Sunday out at the Mariner Center. So we're looking forward to that if everything stays wide open like it is and uh, – yeah, just replenishing the fun, but more importantly, getting back out there and talking with the community, getting people back out, because it's, it's more than just a, a monetary thing. It, it's it's more about the connection and the kids that you support and mm -hmm. the, the sense of community that you build. And uh, we have a great network, network of uh, volunteers. I, I say it all the time, but nothing would go down without them. And uh, from umpires to canteen workers to 50-50 sellers to garbage pickups to whatever we need, people always seem to be there. So I'm very thankful. And uh, once again, this would never happen without the, the calling given people in our community. And we are definitely from a giving community. 
Yeah, and, and that's kind of how Jay Strong started initially. I mean, it was sort of like a call out on Facebook. Uh, you know, people were, you know, obviously devastated about Jaden's passing, and then people come together. And it was the family that was involved there, too. And I know the family's still very involved in Jay Strong, right? Oh, 100%. Uh, Marla and Chris um, are there, 1,000%. Uh, Deb, his mom, is, is a supporter, um, aunts, uncles. Uh, yeah, it's 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 just a it's a real good feel. You get those every now and then. You're involved in something that just kind of hits you in the feels and in the hearts. And I guess when you're going through it, you don't really realize. But at the end of the day, when you sit down and you think, "Hmm, three day tournament, seventeen thousand dollars, all going back to the kids in our community." Yeah, this is great. And how how much of a healing process that must be for the family to know that, regardless of you know what happened tragically the outcome has been so much more positive and uh yeah they the, the family's really great to work with they, there's uh three of us on the board um uh, plus myself and uh, one of his friends mothers and we basically that's that's the Jay Strong fund money comes in and uh, if people want to apply they go to www.jstrong.ca and uh, fill out the application and uh we're always happy to make sure kids uh, get that money that they need to make sure they access sports for many years to come and happy to hear that's back, of course, and, and the access to sports. And uh, with the pandemic and maybe a lot of kids haven't been able to play sports and uh, some kids that are, you know, just growing up through the pandemic want to try sports. So, uh, you know, this fund, it's important this year, isn't it, for Jay Strong to kind of, like you said, replenish those funds a little bit and, and get out to help more of the youth in the community who maybe want to get out and try more of those kind of sports. Big time. I find through the pandemic, I think the appreciation to being out and being able to do stuff has uh, has come to the forefront. Um, sometimes, you know, you, you take things for advantage and uh, they get taken away from us. And we were really starting to realize, I, I think, the uh, turnout at the car show and uh, the C-Fest that's been going on and just the amount of people who've been out. And uh, I think for mental health reasons, too, like uh, when you say sports, a lot of people think physical activity, which, of course, is part of it but there's the teamwork in part the networking part there's all the spin-offs that come from you know the pride of being part of a team uh the friends that you may get the coaches that you, the support you may get so it's more than just sports and uh to be shut down for these years or two has been uh been really hard on the youth and even us adults in general so it's nice to be getting back to some normalcy and yeah maybe this encourages some kids who have been on the coach a little bit and want to get out and do something and Hey, we're we're there to help out. So if, if there's a sport there that you're interested in, give us a shout, and uh, we'll do what we can to make sure that we support you financially as much as you can to get you in there and having some fun. <laughs> get off the iPad, kids. That's no, right. just kidding. That's right. <laughs> Leave those video games alone. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> uh, it, all in good time. But uh, no, that's great. And and as far as the cars that are out there at Hebron, uh, like I said, I've been there, and you can barely get near the place, which is a good thing. Um, and you talked about all the different prizes that are up for grabs. And uh, I was in Toronto last month, and I missed out on that giveaway on that sweater that they had. So uh, you'll have that. All the giveaways from this season from Rogers Center for the Toronto Blue Jays, that's one of the uh, the yep. auction items. The, uh, the kind of, the I, I guess, the, the big pieces. We do have some jerseys, some T-shirts. There's a reusable uh, grocery bag. Um, I believe there's like a leather kind of over-the-shoulder bag, but mm-hmm. the uh, the bobbleheads are always the most popular. So we've got the Vlad and Dad. <laughs> that's that's the biggie. So uh, we we do have that. That was mailed out to me last week. Uh, we do have the red jersey, the Canada Day jersey as well. The and Springer we, one? Yep. Mm-hmm. And we, we have a, a blue one. I think it's Ryu maybe. And, uh, yeah, those are always a big draw because those aren't something you can go out and purchase. You're either at the game, first 15,000, 20,000 people, you don't get 
get it. So shout out to my uncle Arthur who um, who faithfully goes every year to get those for us. Sometimes they're 8 a.m. for 2 p.m. games to make sure he's in line. And uh, he thankfully sends those home. And, uh, yeah, if you're not there, you don't get them. So to have kind of a, a chance to, to buy a envelope of tickets for $10 and have a shot in a one in $15,000 prize for a lot of you Blue Jays fans, you know, that's a good thing. So, like I said, we uh, – we get a lot of donations, and they're continuing to come in, but our Chinese auction is something. There's definitely someone there for everybody from food gift certificates to sports stuff to um, we've had some great donations of sports memorabilia in the past. There was a wrestling belt. I know that. that I have my yes, eye on that. Yeah, yeah, that was the John <laughs> Cena replica. And, uh, yeah, it's it's just a really good time. It, it's nice to see the people's faces, too, when they, when they win. And uh, it's just a great overall time, and I'm just so glad that we're back talking about getting these things rolling again. It's it's time, and I, I really can't wait for next weekend. Yeah, Murray was really happy when he got that belt, for sure. Yeah. I put all my tickets in, and I still didn't win. Uh, it's okay. But, uh, no, it's going to be great. Jay Strong uh, softball tournament coming up next weekend. Uh, for Jay Strong itself, and, you know, looking at volunteers, you mentioned you've got a, you know, a, a small group on the board there, but you always have a lot of volunteers. If someone's listening to this, if they want to help out, is there still opportunities to maybe get involved that way, even if they're not playing? Oh, certainly. Um, you can reach out to me on Facebook, Steve Barry, or you can uh, message the J Strong Fund um, Facebook page. There's always something for somebody to do, whether it's pick up garbage or lug uh, drinks to our umpires or help out with the canteen. Or uh, if you want to come help out, we'll uh, we'll find a spot for you. That's for sure. We uh, I, I just can't say it enough. We are lucky enough to have volunteers through the roof. Uh, I put out a call yesterday for umpires. Check this morning. There's uh, eight or nine people already signed up. Um, yeah, these things can't go on without our volunteers. If not, we'd have to pay somebody. That's that's money that comes out of the fund. So I think people really realize what this is for. So at the end of the day, they're giving back not only to our community, but the youth in our community, which is obviously our future. So uh, it's just it's really nice to see uh, one little post on Facebook and, you know, no begging or pleading with people. They, they People always come out in numbers, so that, that's, it's really awesome. So, yeah, if you're looking to help out, give a shout. We'll find something for you to do for sure, and uh, thank you ahead of time for your support. July 29th, 30th, and 31st. It is the J-Strong Softball Tournament uh, back once again, and we can't wait for that at the Hebron Recreation Complex. And more to come with the, the golf tournament in August and uh, the, uh, the street hockey uh, coming up in September. That'll be a lot of fun, too. Steve Barry's been our guest this morning. Thanks, Steve, uh, as always, for coming in. Thanks, I know you're very busy with uh, a lot of your duties as deputy mayor and uh, all the initiatives you have in the community, so we uh, appreciate your time. And that's our program for today. Thanks for listening. For story suggestions or to submit feedback, email news.cjls at radioabl.ca or call our news line at 902-749-1919. To listen to archived versions of our program, visit us online at cjls.com and click on The Weekender. The Weekender is a production of the Y95 Newsroom and is brought to you by Eris Yarmouth, your one-stop healthy home center.